worship team. Appreciate that so much. Uh, I'm Calvin Pearson. I'm one of the uh, members of the preaching team here and uh, honored to uh, get to be a part not only of Hope, but a uh, part of the preaching team. And so uh, uh, thank you for welcoming me today and uh, coming here to worship the Lord together. So it's good to see you. Very good to see you. Uh, let's pray. Father, may my words be exactly what you want. Nothing more, nothing less. I pray that uh, each word that I say would be directed by your Spirit so that we can hear you speaking from your Bible into our hearts. Father, we pray uh, for uh, churches around us. We pray for the church up in Longmont, even probably starting in a few hours or so because of the time change and all, but we just pray that that would go well, that you'd be honored there. Father, we pray for other churches around us, uh, Reformation Church just down the road and First Baptist Montgomery, First Baptist Magnolia, uh, other churches around us, Father. Thank you that your gospel is being proclaimed there. We pray that uh, people would be drawn to you just as we are praying that we would be drawn to you in this church. Oh, Father. Help us to have your Spirit's empowerment to listen to your word today. And just now in the quietness of this moment, just lift that prayer up to God, a, a, a silent prayer that simply says, God, speak to me today. Pray for those sitting around you that God would speak to them. Then lift up that person that you wish was here. Maybe they live close by, maybe they live on the other side of the world, but just, just pray for someone else that's not here today, that somehow they would worship God today. Just lift them up to the Lord. And then if you would, pray for me, that I would simply be a, a conduit, a tool in God's hand to open up his word for each one of us. Thank you, Lord, for what you are going to be doing, what you're already doing today. We ask it through Jesus. Amen. There's a classic movie. It's been out for, oh, I don't know how many years, 20-plus years. It's in the Indiana Jones trilogy kind of thing, and it's that last one uh, where he's searching for the Holy Grail, that archaeologist kind of slash adventurer. And the climactic scene comes when he finally gets to the cave, of course it's a cave, uh, where the uh, Holy Grail, all the different chalices are and such like that, and there's this old knight who is guarding that. He is so old he can barely lift his sword up. In fact, he falls over kind of thing. But then the bad guy comes in and picks up the wrong chalice, and this iconic scene where this old knight with his chain mail and such over him, he watches the bad guy choose the wrong chalice. And he gets the water and begins to drink it, and he meets his demise in a very dramatic way. And the old knight says, he chose poorly. <laughs> and then Indiana Jones gets the right one, and he drinks the cup, and he does wonderful things. And he goes, and he chose wisely. Well, sometimes we, uh, we choose wisely. Hmm. <laughs> 
Sometimes we don't. Uh, sometimes our poor choices are just mistakes. Uh, a couple of years ago, Jan and I were coming back from the Dallas-Fort Worth area, driving back down this way. And, you know, we got the phone out. Oh, man, we got a traffic jam on 45. How unusual. Uh, and so we said, well, let's see if we can get around. Okay, oh, wait, there's a, yeah, all right, let's go this way. So I said, Jan, Jan was driving. All right, let's go this way. All right, here we go. And, man, we're, man, we're on the side roads. It looks like we're going to get around this traffic jam. It's going to be great and wonderful. And as the road goes from the, you know, the small farm to market road with the line in the middle of it, then you get to the road with no line. And then you hopefully don't get to the road that's just dirt. But then we were, you know, down the road a bit way and looks like pretty good. But then we saw all these cars turning around and coming back. And we got down the road, road closed ahead, bridge out. Ah, that was a poor choice. Tried to take a shortcut kind of thing. Sometimes our poor choices are that way. Sometimes our poor choices are sinful. They're against God's will. We know that. But we make them anyway. Uh, I've got my share of those. In my past, well, even in the present sometimes, unfortunately. You probably have them too. How do we recover from poor choices? Some of the poor choices we make, we can undo, okay? All right, I, I bought the wrong car, okay, take it back and fix that, you know, kind of thing. Sometimes, yeah. But sometimes we have to live with the consequences. Perhaps the poor choice you made was you bought a house that was way over your budget, and now you're really having to, to scrape to get by. Well, it's a poor choice. It may not necessarily sin, but, but a poor choice or a car that you bought that you wish you had. Some kind of situation that sometimes we can fix and sometimes we can't. Well, how do we respond when we make those poor choices? You know, one of the ways that we respond is with this, oh, I don't know, depression, despair. I am so stupid. Why did I do that? And we think that so much that we end up just almost just so down on ourselves that we just almost paralyze ourselves. We can't do hardly anything because we're so down on ourselves. Sometimes there's anger. Not just at ourselves, but at people around us. How come they didn't stop me? Sometimes we blame other people. Sometimes when we make poor choices, it's just... Yeah, no big deal. I'll, you know, a kind of a cavalier attitude. You know, everybody makes bad choices. That's, that's not the way to respond. The better way to respond is to say, hey, all right, I've made some poor choices. I need to learn from them. I need to see it's water under the bridge. I'm not going to dwell on that. I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to get going. I'm going to do what is right. And we start making good choices. This is what we want to do. But here's the problem. We make a poor choice, and we go, and we hear people saying, hey, come on, get over it, do what's right. Okay, I know I'm supposed to do that. And so we get over here, and we start doing some good choices, and, start, and then we just kind of drift back over here and start making those poor choices again. And we even make poor choices about how to get over poor choices because we don't do what, we need to, what we're supposed to do. There's this, this cycle of, a poor choice, and we are, and we come back to the poor choice, and we we need some kind of outside source to break that cycle of poor choices. 
And that's what I pray that God will show us this morning from his word. I invite you to open your Bibles to an Old Testament book entitled Ruth. Now, it's a small book just after Genesis and all the first five books and then Joshua Judges, then Ruth. You might even need your table of content to find it, okay? It's a small little book, but I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Ruth. Because we're going to see in the book of Ruth, this morning we're going to focus on the first few verses. We're going to see some people that made poor choices and how they recovered from it. So have your Bibles open to the book of Ruth. I want to give you a little bit of a... uh, uh, a taste of what this book is about because this is the first in a series that we're going to be going through the book of Ruth. Next week, we'll pick it up in verse chapter 1, verse 6. We're going to end with chapter 1, verse 6 today and then go through the book. I want to encourage you. Make the book of Ruth part of your, your, your quiet times in the morning just to read through the book. You can read a chapter a day. It takes you about five minutes to read a chapter and the chapter's just so happens are very nicely broken up. Sometimes the chapter divisions in the scriptures aren't nicely broken up, but in this case they are. Four separate acts, you might say. And it's easy to read. It's a delightful story. And I want to encourage you to be reading it as we go through this series on the book of Ruth. Now, a couple of things I want to point out to you about the book overall. One is this, some of the themes. One of the themes is a, is a Hebrew word that Justin has mentioned before uh, in several different situations, and it's a very common Hebrew word in the Old Testament. The Hebrew word is actually hesed. It's translated a lot of different ways. One way it's translated is loving kindness. Another way is God's steadfast love or his faithful love. The sense of that word is God is going, we sang about it. Some of the songs we sang had that great is thy faithfulness that that we just got through singing. That's the sense of it, that God is going to be faithful in his love for us. But there's another little element to that word, that kindness element. That's why it's translated in some translations, loving kindness. In the book of Ruth, we're going to see God exercising loving kindness towards Ruth and the other characters. But he also, we're also going to see that loving kindness exercised towards different people within relationships. Ruth to Boaz, Boaz to Ruth, Naomi to Ruth, back and forth, such like that. So there's this theme throughout the whole book of Ruth of God's steadfast love, his loving kindness. Another theme in the book is the fact that God's name comes up a lot. Now, in the Old Testament, there are several different names for God. And in your Bibles, almost every translation does this. You'll notice sometimes the word LORD is in all caps. When you see that, that's the name of God, Yahweh, as we begin. We sang about that. We used that in, in one of the songs. That, you might say, is his personal name. When Moses said, who are you, God, there in the burning bush? That's when God said, my name is Yahweh. So that keeps coming up. God shows up in a lot of things in this book. Uh, Of course he does. Here's another thing that you're going to see as you read through the book. After this first passage where they are not obeying God so much, they start obeying God. And we're going to see all kinds of very interesting laws that they followed about who should marry somebody and such like that. It really is intricate. And we'll get into that as we get into those passages. 
But we're going to see they follow God's law. That's another thing that we're going to see. Another one is, hey, it's a romance. You've got Ruth and Boaz and how they finally get together kind of thing. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a delightful romance story. And then one last thing, just kind of to, a broad picture of the book of Ruth. This is, this is, it's important for us to grasp. Not that other things aren't important for us to grasp, but it's something that we don't often think about. This is pretty early on in God revealing himself through his word. And the thing that is very dominant in this book is that God is accepting of Ruth. Why is that significant? Because she is a non-Jew. She's not Jewish. She's a Moabite. So right here in the beginning of God, God telling us his story, he's saying loud and clear, my love, my gospel is for everybody, not just the Jews. It's for all people. And so that theme is also in this book here. So, so as you read it, these themes will kind of help you grasp some of the things. Now, we're going to read the first five verses, but here's how I want to do it. Rather than me just read it and then go back and explain it all to you, I want to give you some, some ways to listen to this, uh, these five verses. I want to explain a few things so that when I do read them, you'll go, oh, okay, I, I know how that fits in. Because there's a lot of little intricacies here that are very important that make this passage just, in a sense, come alive. So I want you to look at several different things with me. So first of all, it's in verse 1. Now, it came about, that little phrase, it came about, okay, you know, it just happened. No, that's a very important phrase. That phrase is most often used later in the Old Testament when it describes a king's role or a king's, excuse me, not role, but reign. Uh, in the days of Hezekiah, in the days of Josiah, in the days of David, it was a, a catchphrase or a key phrase that when the Jews heard it, they went, oh, this is talking about a king's reign. It would be something like us saying during the, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I've forgotten it. When, when a president, what do you call that? His, his term, there we go, his term. His term is president. So it, it's like that, it, that's kind of a, a, uh, uh, a phrase that means more than just, hey, in the days of, in the term of, you're almost, oh yeah, in the term of what president? Well, when the Jews heard, now it came about, they would expect it to be, now it came about in the reign of David, but it in the, came about in the days that the and it's almost like the author of this book is saying, I want to hint at something. There's a king that is coming. And if you fast forward to the end of the book, <laughs> that's exactly where it ends, is with David being the king. So right here in the beginning, the author is saying, I want to hint at this, this promise of a king that's going to come. So that's the first little thing I wanted you to notice. came about in the days that the judges governed. Oh, the book of Judges precedes this. Really difficult time in the life of Israel. They did wrong. God judged them. They said, God, deliver us. He sends a judge to be the, the deliverer. God delivers them. Then they, they make a series of poor choices again and again and again. So that's what's happening in the, 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 in the, the surrounding uh, because the judges were governing. There was a famine in the land. Uh, now, uh, then we have a certain man in Bethlehem. 
Bethlehem. Fascinating, fascinating word in light of a famine coming. Bethlehem means house of bread. So again, it's like the author is saying, I want to contrast for you. A famine comes to the house of bread. I mean, just the opposite. So that concept of uh, Bethlehem being there. Then we're going to talk about Moab. They're going to go down to Moab. Well, they're just another city in Judah. No, no, no. This is a whole different nation. A whole different nation, distantly related to the Jews, okay, but a different nation who does not worship God. In fact, the worship in Moab, they worship fertility gods. Now, if you've got a male and female fertility god, you can kind of fill in the blank there how you worship them. Uh, it's, it's, it's vile. It's, uh, it's almost unthinkable what people would do in the name of worship fertility gods. Well, that's what was going on in Moab. So when it talks about them going to Moab, it's not talking, hey, uh, there's just another city. No, no, it, it, it's a foreign land, a land that rejects God altogether. So we've got Moab. We're going to see a little phrase about um, these men being Ephrathites. And you go, what's an Ephrathite? Well, it's almost like saying somebody from, from Magnolia in Montgomery County in Texas. It's just another, you might say, area. So when you read that, it's just, oh, okay, I, I know it, I, it's, it's an area there in Judah. But it's an important area because later on, King David is described as being an Ephrathite. So again, the Jews would see that and go, oh, oh we're talking about this king thing again. Uh, so the Ephrathites are there. They're going to go down to, jo- to Moab and remain there. Not just go and visit to get some food because of the famine, but they're going to go and remain there. And it's 10 years that they remain there, you're going to see. And these two young men marry Moabite women. Oh, wait a minute. These are women who live in a culture that worships these vile gods. They're not supposed to be marrying them. No, don't do That's part of the reason, not so much that, that marrying a Moabite is wrong, but no, don't do it in that kind of way. If that Moabite wants to become a Jew, fine. No, not a problem there, but you're not supposed to do that. But they did marry Moabite women. And uh, then the last little verse we're going to read there, it is contrasting to the beginning verse. The beginning verse, you've got this woman who has a husband and two sons. And then in verse 5, you're going to see a woman who has no husband and no sons. Now, with that in mind, let's listen to these first five verses. And again, listen also for the poor choices that they made. Now it came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. She was left with her two sons. 
And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. And the name of the one was Orpah. The name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. And the woman was bereft of her two children and her husband. So we see all kinds of poor choices here. Choices not to trust that God would lift that famine in due time, and he would. And so they go to this foreign nation to get help, a nation that is opposed to God. They not only go down there to get help, they go down there and they stay there, and they intermarry like they're not supposed to do it. And and it's like, come on, one poor choice after another, and then perhaps it was God's judgment, perhaps it was just part of life that the husband and the two sons died, and here's Naomi with nothing. Now, we go, what do you mean nothing? Didn't they have, you know, didn't she have welfare and social security? No, 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 nothing like that. If you didn't have a husband and, and children, a widow, whoa, there was nothing there. But God had set up a system where a widow would be helped. But you had to be back in Israel where there was family and relatives and such, but she wasn't there. She was down in Moab. So she made poor, they made poor choices one after another. We make those. Some of us, no, all of us, at one level or another, have to live with the consequences of poor choices. Things that we've done in our past that we knew were wrong, that affected us emotionally, that affected us financially, that affected us relationship-wise, We can't undo them. They're done. And we have made our share of poor choices. Some of them were just mistakes, like Jan and I going down a road and having the bridge out. Just a mistake. Wasn't necessarily sinful. But some things were sinful. When God revealed something in my mind, in my heart, and I said, you know, Lord, do you want me to do this? And God came along and said, Calvin, I don't want you to do that. But I said, God, I want to do it anyway. And I went ahead and did some stuff that I shouldn't have done. And I knew he didn't want me to do it. That was a poor choice. I still emotionally wrestle with that. Perhaps this morning, you're wrestling with a poor choice. But the consequences are very acute right now. You're going, oh, God, I wish I hadn't done that. And there's anger and there's frustration and there's almost depression because I made those poor choices I shouldn't have done. And you're wanting wanting to get on this side of the, the ledger here and say to get over that and learn from it and move on, but you just can't seem to do that. I wonder if Naomi felt that way. Man, why... Why did I ever agree to come to Moab? Why didn't I put my feet down and say, no, Elimelech, we are not going to Moab. Why did I let my my sons marry Moabite women? Why did I do that? Oh, God, I wonder if she was down on herself. I wonder if she was, well, she was living with the consequences of it. But let's look and see what she does. Now, verse 6 is a hinge verse. It goes with the next scene you might say and yet it's also a little bit into this scene as well and so next week we'll be picking up in verse six but we need to kind of end with verse six today now don't get your hopes up that's not the end of the sermon (laughs) verse six 
See, I shouldn't say things like that, should I? That, that assumes that you want the sermon to be over, isn't it? And, uh, verse 6, let's see what she does. Okay, she, she's made poor choices, or she's the consequences of it. Verse 6, then she arose with her daughter-in-laws. Now, what, stop for a second there. Have you ever used that phrase? And then I arose and drove to church. And then I arose and went to H-E-B. Oh, we don't use that for well and this is used hundreds of times in the old testament and jacob arose and went and david arose and went and joab arose i mean over and over and over and over again and i did a little bit of digging into this and it's a hebrew way of saying and they decided and they made up their mind they they woke up you might say it dawned on them i need to do this so, and then, she, and then she woke up and realized, whoa, I've made some poor choices. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the land of Moab, for she had heard that in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. So, she finally makes a good choice. This family finally begins to get out of that, that, that cycle of making poor choices and more poor choices and more poor choices and says, hey, I'm going to arise. I'm going to change. I'm going to do some other things. I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to recover from these poor choices. Now, the rest of the book of Ruth gives us all kinds of hints about how to do this. And as we go through that, we're going to see some of these things, but I, I, I want to do it a little differently this morning. I want to, to give you five, and I'm not sure, probably here's what happened. The, the bulletin thing you have there, it says number six. Here's probably what happened. When I sent my notes to you know, be published here, it probably did one of those word program things that you know when it, it's set up and it automatically puts a number six there, whether you like it or not. At any rate. It's, it's number one, okay, is what it should be, okay? We're gonna, the screen's going to have number one up there on this. We need to admit, here's how to recover from, from, uh, from a poor choice. First of all, admit that you've made a poor choice. We see that right here in this verse very clearly. She arose. She decided, I need to make a change. When it comes to recovering from a poor choice, First thing that God wants us to do is to very simply admit it. That takes humility, doesn't it? I made a mistake. I was wrong. And we can blame all kinds of other reasons. You know, well, the, the facts that I had or somebody said this or, you know, all things considered, that was the best choice I could make at the time. That may be true, but it was still a poor choice. So admit it. Calvin admitted that you made some poor choices. That's the first step in recovering from a poor choice. The next one is this. Trust God's good plan. I want you to jot a verse reference down beside that. It's in the New Testament. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Just jot that down. Romans 8, 28 wonderful verse it it says and it capulates as a principle that we're going to see in the rest of the book of ruth but in the new testament it simply says that god causes all things to work together for good 
to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And, and, and what is that good? Well, that, that whole section of the book of Romans is talking about us becoming more like Christ. And so what it's simply saying is God's plan for us, even when we make poor choices, is to take that poor choice and use it to shape us into what God wants us to be, to be more like Christ. So God, in his wonderful economy, even takes our poor choices and takes those poor choices and says, watch how I'm going to integrate that poor choice into my plan for your life, and you're going to be able to see how I'm going to use your poor choice to do good in your life, because he does that. Now, it's through us learning. It's through us having a a humble spirit. There's all kinds of ways he does that. But God doesn't waste anything, even our sins even our poor choices because he's that great and he's that wonderful and it's not like he's going oh no calvin sinned what am i going to do now no he knew i was going to do that and that's part of his wonderful plan so the second step in recovering from poor choices is to trust god's good plan because he has it And we're going to see in the book of Ruth all kinds of ways that his good plan just blossoms in front of Ruth's eyes and in front of Naomi's eyes. And she, right here she ends with no children. She's going to end with a wonderful grandchild that's going to become the great-grandfather of King David. And so it's just this wonderful story of how God causes all things, even our poor choices, for our good. He's going to... It's amazing what he can do. So it's an issue of saying, God, I thank you. I thank you that somehow you're going to use my poor choice. I don't know how you're doing it, God, but I'm trusting that you are. So admit that you've made, admit that we've made poor choices. Trust God's good plan. Here's the next thing. Accept his forgiveness. Jot down Ephesians 4, 28. Chapter 4, verse 28. Ephesians 4, 28. Be kind to one another. Be kind. That's kind of interesting. Be kind. That's what the book of Ruth talks about. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted and forgiving each other, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. I think that forgiving each other, it's almost like God is also saying you can forgive yourself, providing that you've accepted the forgiveness that God gives you in Christ. Don't accept his forgiveness. It's not, it's not a cavalier approach that just says, well, I made a poor choice, I'm only human, well, no big deal. No, it is a big deal. It's a huge deal. But the forgiveness is saying, God is not going to hold me responsible any longer for the bad that I've done. I'm not going to be paid back for that. I can forgive myself. I can say, yes, I did make a mistake, but God has forgiven me, and and I don't have to feel this guilt any longer for doing something stupid. It was stupid, but I'm forgiven. Now let's move on and not let that guilt haunt me and depress me and drag me down. No, I'm going to move on because I'm forgiven in Christ. Oh, and by the way, friends, If you've never accepted the forgiveness that Jesus offers you by his death on the cross and the new life he offers you by by his resurrection, oh, accept that forgiveness today because that's the heart of this. That's the heart of of recovering from poor choices because the biggest poor choice that we make 
is rejecting God and rejecting his way of life for us and saying, God, I'm going to live my life. Don't tell me how to live it. I'm going to live it. And God comes along and says, wait, wait, wait. That sin is separating you from me. I want you to come back to me. I'm going to send my son to die for you. He's going to come back from the grave to prove that he really did it for you. But you've got to trust me as Savior. You've got to trust him as Savior. You've got to come to me and accept that forgiveness. If you haven't done that, oh, my friend, do that. Do that today. Get that settled between you and God. And let that forgiveness that God gives you of your sin, let that forgiveness flow over into you forgiving yourself for these poor choices. We do all make them. And they're big and they're heavy. But God forgives us. And we can forgive ourselves. And we can move on and recover from these poor choices. The next thing, and we're going to see this again in the book of Ruth, is obey his revealed will. Do what he says. Jot down John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments, Jesus says to us. Do what he says. Obey his will. Sometimes when we make poor choices and we say, okay, I admit it. I'm accepting your forgiveness, God. But, you know, I, I'm, uh, I'm going to keep on doing things the way I want to do them and not your way. No, stop. Stop. Obey God's will. Do what is right now. You made some mistakes in the past. All right, you made them. But don't keep doing them. Stop. Obey his will. If his will says you need to forgive, then forgive. If his will says you need to be more disciplined in your life in certain areas, then, then do it. Stop this habit. Stop watching this. Stop whatever it might be. Do his will. Sometimes we think, man, I'll never recover from these poor choices. That's because you keep on doing it, because I keep on doing it. And God says, no, stop that. Well, God, how am I going to do that? What well, leads us to the next thing. Depend on him and the church and his family. Jot down John chapter 14, verse 26. John chapter 14, verse 26, where God, where Jesus says to his disciples, to us, I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit, who comes and dwells in us. And in the book of Ruth, we see a lot of dependence upon God and a lot of uh, help that they get from each other. And that's the other part of it. Don't just depend upon God to work in you. Also depend upon his family. But that part of depending upon God to be at work in you. Oh, my friends, God is not saying to us, hey, made poor choices? All right, do what's right over here. You're on your own. Get after it. No. He's saying, I'm going to give you a helper to give you power within yourself that comes from me being in you to do what is right, to make right choices and to stop making poor choices and to recover from that. I want to give you my spirit to help you. Don't try to do this on your own. Depend upon God's spirit to help you. And just in the mornings, get up and say, God, I can't live this life that you want me to live apart from you. I depend on your spirit today to be at work in me. And try to maintain that attitude all through the day. God, you do what I can't do. I can't tell you how many times. Oh, I wish it was even more times. 
where God has, has something in front of me. Maybe I have to go and apologize to someone. Maybe I have to, to say, God, I've got to stop doing this particular habit or whatever it might be. And I say, God, I can't do it. And God says, exactly, Calvin, watch me do it in you. And he does. Oh, my friend, depend on God's Spirit to be at work in you and through you. But then also depend on God's family. You can't do this alone. That's why we need each other. Tuesday afternoon, I'm meeting with some guys. And uh, we're going through a book on, on how to be a disciplined, godly man. And we're going to be talking about purity. Because we need each other's help. We can't do it on our own. We've we got to rely on each other. Maybe, maybe some of the poor choices you've made are so harsh and so mean and so cruel in your life that you need to get some professional help from a Christian counselor. That's okay. That's not just okay. It, it's a good thing. And I can tell you it's a good thing. I've been to some. For me, I want to encourage you. If it's that painful, if it's that hard, if it's that harsh, then, then get some help. That's, that's all right, professional help. But at least start sharing it with someone. Well, how do you share it with someone? Well, you need to get to know each other. We need to get to know each other in the small group, in a, <clears throat> a very small little group that I have that I meet with, or some of the groups that are meeting in homes or such like that. And it's not that you're going to walk in and share right away. No, you've got to build that relationship so you have someone you can trust and, and, and share this heavy burden of a poor choice that you made. Get help from somebody else. This book of Ruth that really focuses on God's steadfast love for us, His loving kindness for us, it begins by reminding us that we make poor choices. But we can recover from them. And this morning, perhaps you're just, you're, you feel like you're over here and you're, oh, God, I've made such poor choices. God wants to move you over here. God wants to bring you over here where you can learn from it, where you can put it behind you, where you can go on with life, where you can have joy in your life again. And you can say, God, yes, I've made poor choices, but God, wow, look at what you've done. That's what God wants for us this morning. He wants it for each one of us. Because each one of us have made poor choices. We don't have to keep making them. Now, when we think about coming to God for help and making poor choices, sometimes I think we have a wrong view of how God looks at this, this whole process of making, us making poor choices and trying to make good choices. I think sometimes we view him through the lens of maybe a parent that was overly strict or a teacher that was or some kind of authority figure that that's what God is and he's sitting up there saying you've done it again well okay let's see if you can do any better this time and that's not God's attitude God is not this this mean person that is oh stupid Calvin come on get with it how many times do I have to tell you no not at all his loving kindness is there. It's a book by uh, <clears throat> Dane Ortland called Humble and Lowly, Gentle and Lowly, excuse me, Gentle and Lowly. talks about Christ and about how Christ's character, and he's got this wonderful illustration in there. He talks about a, a doctor who is committed to helping 
a distant culture that's way out in the middle of nowhere that's got this disease and he goes to to a medical school to learn how to, to cure this disease and such, and he finds that the disease that this little community has is curable. It's fairly easy to, to cure. So he gets through medical school. He uh, is independently wealthy, so he, he goes to this community and sets up a little clinic to offer healing to this community that's, that this disease has caused death and all kinds of difficulties for years. But it's a simple cure. Just a few pills and a few treatment, and it would go away. And so he goes there and sets up shop and says, hey, this is good for you. But they say, no, we don't want it. We don't want it. We, uh, we think we can heal ourselves. Well, months goes by. And no one comes. And he's there going, oh, if they would only come. Then finally some young men get up the courage and they come and they take the medicine and they get well. What's the doctor's attitude? He's delighted. He is overjoyed because people have come to get help. That's why he came. That's why Jesus came. So when we come to him saying, God, I've made some stupid choices, he says, oh, I'm so glad you've come to me. I'm so That's why I sent my son. Let me embrace you. Let me help you. Let me help you recover from these poor choices. That's why I've come. God in heaven. God, thank you so much that your plans are good even when our choices are not. Father, thank you that you can bring recovery to each one of us. Father, we pray for each other this morning. Father, I I don't know the the specifics of this, but, but surely, Lord, there's some that have made some financial decisions that are really rocking them right now. Oh, God, let them run to you. Let them find some help. Father, there's some that have made some choices in relationships. Oh, God, that are so hard to, in some ways, are never going to be fixed. But they can recover. Oh, God, help them to recover. And the quietness of this moment right now, just between you and God, that list of, of ways to recover from poor choices, Just glance at it right there. Which one is the Spirit highlighting in your life? Which one is God saying, Calvin, pay attention to this one. You you really need to to, to work on this one. And just ask God's Spirit to to highlight one of these in your life to say, okay, God, I'm going to grab hold of this one this morning. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to admit. I'm going to accept forgiveness. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to get help. I'm going to obey you. And just in the quietness of this moment, in your own heart and mind, just say, Lord, by your power, help me to do this.
And then perhaps you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You've never accepted the forgiveness that Jesus is offering to you. I want to encourage you to do that right this moment. how, How do I do it? You simply make a decision in your own heart that you are trusting Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And just express that to God, even in a silent prayer, because he could hear our thoughts. And embrace what Jesus has done for you. Now, after the service, I'm going to be standing over here up front. There'll be some people coming by and greeting me that, that, uh, you know, just to say howdy and such like that. But I would love to talk with you about trusting Christ as Savior or perhaps some other issue of prayer that you'd like to to pray about. I'll be standing over here. And just come down and, and we'll spend a little time talking or praying. But I'd love to talk with you more about this. So, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness, and thank you that you give us recovery from our poor choices. Thank you that you give us the forgiveness of the poor choice of our sin. Oh, God, you are truly great and wonderful. Thank you for your steadfast love and your loving kindness towards us that never ends. All of this through Jesus. Amen. Church, as we close.